today's guest on the podcast is LaToya Snell. She's known as Running Fat Chef, and I love her. I love her so much. This conversation was one of my absolute favorites, not because it was funny and silly, although it had those moments, but because it was honest and we talked about some really hard shit. And this is your explicit warning, (laughs) perhaps a little later than I should have said shit, but um, heavy conversation, amazing topic. We talk about racism. We talk about what it means to be black in America from LaToya's experience, of course, not speaking for all African-American people, but I think this was the type of conversation I, I was so honored to have after what has been going on in America and what is continuing. And I encourage all of you to listen to this episode in its entirety. Just listen. That is all that is being asked. Open your ears, open your hearts, and enjoy this episode with LaToya Snell. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. All right, everyone. Welcome to another live episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm very excited about our guest today. LaToya Snell is here. Hello, friend. Hey, how you doing? I am so good. I'm so good. We cleaned the house today and did yard work. And then, you know, so it's a good day when you do the things you're supposed to do, even though it wasn't much fun. (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely agree. Like after this podcast, I'll be actually going out for my virtual marathon. I saw. Um, that so were you planning yeah. we will not keep you long i'm going to keep you oh no I'm 30 fine. minutes that's it <laughs> no I gotta cook. I, no after this i gotta cook and you then lose I go the congregation out. after 30 minutes anyway right <laughs> so, right so we will we will pack a punch so you can get on this were, were you going to start this morning and just it didn't work out or yeah so i have sciatica and that just generation so it is very weird it's always hit or miss when it comes to running or any type of sport where I have my day completely scheduled out and it's like I have to schedule in moments of hiccups. And this is definitely the moments of hiccups. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I was reading your story and I'm so glad Myrna Valeria connected us and I started reading your story and I was like, oh my gosh, what a story. So I don't even know how you could compress it. (laughs) And that's not a disc joke. That's just... (laughs) A timing joke. I don't know how you could compress your story, um, but I think we have to try because I know a lot of my audience doesn't know you. And then I want to talk about body image and I want to talk about racism and I want to hit heavy topics because that's what I do. (laughs) So let's do it and then we'll get you out on your run. And I want to talk about that too. So tell us your story, where where you come from and your background and how you became um, a a success. I mean, an internet success. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's been nuts. Like, um, cause I definitely was, um, anti hero. Like I did not want to be a poster child for anything. And I kept running away from this. Like Myrna and I became friends because I was like, Oh, I love her story, but I do not want to be in the limelight. Like she is like, I just felt like it's too much pressure. So I started off as uh well, I had a number of, um, careers before this, but I started off in the culinary industry, uh, probably about 10 years ago. And one day I went to work, I was making this not so, um, PC joke and the joke would it kind of aligned to my back going out. So when my back, like I pretty much was bending over and the whole kitchen started laughing and they thought it was part of the joke. And then people realized like, oh, she's not getting back up. Um, And they're like, what's going on? And I was like, hey, my back just went out and I can't describe this pain I'm going through. Um, When I went to the doctor, I was diagnosed with sciatica, disc degeneration and a number of things. And he's like, Hey, you're going to be out for a while. I'm thinking like two weeks. This turned out to be a whole year and some change. Um, and how old were you? 
I was, oh gosh, I had, this was 2011, 2012. There was the same, uh, it was a week before Hurricane Sandy. So I want to say that was, gosh, I, I should have done my, my, my math now. I know, I can't do that math either. That is about it. 27, 28. Oh my yeah. gosh. Way too so young for your back to go out. Yeah, because like yeah. I'll be 35 um, next month. And it's so terrible. I can't even do math. You're a baby. <laughs> You're a baby. I can't do math because I, I just stopped getting old at, at 30. I'm just 30. Yeah. So like, it's, <laughs> it's been, no, it's been a crazy adventure. Cause at first it was just more like, okay, great. Here's another hiccup in my life, you know? Um, and I looked at it as now I'm not going to be able to do anything that I love. I call myself a recovering self-defeatist, um, yeah. because a lot of the things that I get to this place in life where I get someone's version of success and then something happens and I just all of a sudden have it yanked away from me. So I started getting to this place where I'm like, I'm not even going to try. And if it looks like it's going to get successful, I will pull myself away from it. Um, So I walked into this not looking to be anybody's role model. And 2013, a person, everyday person, um, she's a teacher by um, in the daytime, but she was a Beachbody coach. I didn't know that at the time. (laughs) And um, I saw her Instagram account and I'm like, wow, how can I do workouts like that? I didn't care about body image. I just loved her strength. And I spoke with her and she's like, you're super transparent. Um, why don't you just go online and have your friends as your virtual accountable, um, accountability buddies, which kind of helps me for quarantine right now. Yeah, you know, right. uh, <laughs> totally. Thank yeah, God. She's, yeah, she's like a, like a fortune teller, you know, like, but, um, <laughs> but pretty much like um, that started off my journey. Um, I started off initially as a weight loss journey. And in 2014, I had hit practically my goal. I had lost a hundred pounds, um, close to a hundred pounds. And then I reached this point where I allowed someone to tell me that I was still too fat oh. and I believed it. And I was just like, Oh, okay. Like this is not coming from like an outside source. Sometimes when we think of trolls, we think of people who don't know us. They're far away. They're on the screen. I never met them in real life. Sometimes we don't account for the people who live with us in our homes, don't count for the friends that we have in our circle. Right. And this person was a friend. It triggered me into an eating disorder. Um, and along the way with being in the culinary industry, um, I picked up a little bit of alcoholism, um, along that time. It's like almost like part of the culture. So it's like when you are gravitating towards those things, sometimes it's almost like I have this issue and now I'm going to fix it with another issue. Before I knew it, my entire life had spiraled. Um, because of it, like one incident basically have sent me to ER and that was enough where doctor was like, Hey, listen, um, if nobody's ever told you, you have an eating disorder and we need you to fix this right now. Otherwise you won't be here for another year. And that was the first time I ever had someone actually hand me a mirror and say, eating disorders can look like you at 165, 175, 185 pounds. Most times when we think of eating disorders, we think of someone who's, you know, pretty much skinny, um, you know, is typically a woman, she's doing it for vanity. I was doing it because I wanted to be an athlete. Yeah. And I couldn't look at the, the reflection in the mirror and say, it doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter what built you are, that you are an athlete just the way you are. And it changed the entire way that I looked at fitness and my entire why of why I moved. And in turn, it got me really hardcore going into running, not worrying about the paces, not worrying about what I look like compared to what, you know, what may be painted in other people's imaginations. And that's literally how I got here today. But the the reason why my story got picked up so drastically in 2017, um, during the New York City Marathon, that same year, I miscarried with twins. And there's so many things, so many levels to my story that I just could not, I can't compress it into 30 minutes. But long story short, during that time, I was ready to quit. Yeah. And I decided I'm going to do the New York City Marathon, the Chicago Marathon, and I'm going to do the 60K. During the New York City Marathon, there was a guy who said, it's going to take your fat ass forever. That was his actual quote. And I went back and forth with this guy. Like a fellow runner or someone in the crowd? Oh, this was just a spectator. It was just a spectator, just really nasty. And it's like the worst timing because it's like, it's not like you're hearing it at mile one or even mile 25. You're hearing it at mile 22 where it's like, you're really close, but you still have a decent amount of mileage. Your brain is mush. And it's like, great. That's the thing that's going to wake me up out here is to have somebody heckle me. And I already had a number of online hecklers. I'm, I rarely ever get someone that's willing to look me in my face 
and tell me something disgusting is most times people like to hide behind their keyboards. And um, in turn, thanks to two, um, two other people who are actually running the course, they're like, ma'am, it's not worth it. You got four more miles. Come on, just push it out. But you already have that thought there. Yeah. And I, I just, when I remember sharing it on my blog initially, I was just, I remember just kind of brushing it over and I was like, okay, I've been heckled before. Let me just get over it. When I wrote it for the root and I had to write it in less words, and I'm very wordy. Um, <laughs> when I had to write it for the root and they told me to write it for eight, you know, within 800 words, I didn't understand the impact until people started writing me. And these were, these were people that weren't in the running community. It was just everyday people. You know, I've gone through fat shaming because of whatever fill in the blank. These are kids, lawyers, doctors, mm-hmm. you know, it, it didn't discriminate and who it targeted, smaller people, plus size people, you know, people who just don't feel like they can say anything because society tells you to get over it. And I was just like, right. maybe right. this is where I have to stop running. Well, like running away from, you know, being who I am because I've been running away from being in the media for about 10 years in different fields. And somehow this story was the thing that started me really embracing being in the public eye. Cause I, I just really didn't want any parts of it. Too late. Yeah. It's <laughs> Too like, late. it's like, no, I've, I've embraced it now. Now it's like, it's, you know, it's the things that you have to learn along the way. Um, I've definitely learned how to um, curve off my um, profanity um, down to a minimum. <laughs> you don't have to do that here. <laughs> I am an explicit <laughs> podcast. So say what you like. Yes. No, 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 no. Because no, I'll, I'll be on the F wagon um, all day. But um, no, it's, 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 it's to a point where when you are in the public eye, there are certain things that do change, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's like you, it's almost like when I always try to explain to people, it's like trying to write and text and tell somebody how you feel and you write it in caps and it's like, you're screaming. Sometimes sarcasm isn't translated, right? Um, (laughs) Right. You know, what you're trying to say to someone can be interpreted 10 different ways. And I realized that being in the public eye almost has that same kind of sentiment where people will take one word mm. and will run with it and change it into something completely different. So it's like, almost like, I feel like I'm at first, I felt like I was over explaining myself for simple things. And then I just got to this level of peace somewhere at the end of last year where I was just like, you know what, you're not going to make everyone happy. All you can do is make yourself happy, make sure your well being is there, make sure that you're not just exercising your body, but you're exercising your mind. And see it through. You know, you're all going to make mistakes. You're not perfect. You're not intended or placed on this earth to be perfect or to make everyone happy. And that's really what keeps me afloat in this. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. So tell me where you fall with body image now. I mean, I I saw your bio, you were up to 265 pounds. I've been there too. Um, I feel best in the one eighties. I would love to be 150. I'll, I haven't seen that since sixth grade, whatever. But I, there's a certain like weight where I don't feel my best. And mm. there's a certain low weight that requires dedication of me that makes me also feel like crap. I mean, right. it is such a fine, I feel amazing at 180 pounds. But th- what it takes for me to get there is chicken and rice for every right. meal, you know, and, and that's fine. I mean, and that's a debt level of dedication that sometimes I have and sometimes not so much, right. but at 210, I feel terrible and I don't mm-hmm. run and, you know, and, and I'm, I'm lost in this sea of where do, where do we bigger girls fall? <laughs> like, right. where do we exist? It's like you, there's, you have to either claim plus size or, I mean, I struggle with it because I'm, I'm a big girl, right. um, but I don't, you know, I don't know. Tell me things. Be wise. <laughs> well, you know, the, the reality of it is I don't think that you, uh, see, here's the thing. I feel like uh, when it comes down to the movement, because I heavily identify with body positivity and then I don't. I don't identify yeah. with marketing. That's where I have a problem with. The marketing drives me absolutely nuts, even though when people are like, oh, she's a Bopo activist, you know, she's out there telling people to be empowered. And then someone will change the language and say, oh, she's advocating for people to be fat. And I'm just like, I'm advocating for us to be happy wherever we're at. That's what I'm advocating for. Wherever we're happy. Right. You know, and the yeah. thing is, everybody's happy is going to vary by the day. The, but to take it a step further, body positivity to me means that there are going to be some moments where you're going to have a fuck this shit moment where it's going to be, 
I don't like the image that's bouncing back at me. I don't like the way I feel. Um, like for instance, last week on Instagram, I put up a post where I was in the middle of a workout and I wrote as a caption that I do not feel beautiful today. Mm. I know when I look at my reflection, I'm beautiful. I'm like, I know I'm that girl. I know that, you know, I like the way my hair is done, even though it's kind of like messed up right now. You know, I'm like, I gained a couple of pounds. I'm okay with that. But feeling wise, the idea that I'm in quarantine, that I cannot do the things that I'm used to doing, the fact that I cannot run and move the way that I'm used to when I'm a person who celebrates their mobility. Yeah. I can't even celebrate it the way I want to because I'm required to wear a mask and it doesn't feel good that makes me not feel beautiful. So I think that when we talk about the body positivity um, piece, we have to take in consideration that the mental actually falls into it. It's, so it's not really for me of a numbered thing. Don't get me wrong. There are times where I'm just like, oh girl, like, oh, I'm like, uh, these pants ain't gonna fit. Oh, okay, that, that's cute. That's cute. <laughs> that's good data. You know? That's good like, information to know. Yeah. I'm like, all right, you know, this doesn't feel that way. But I also realize I can't associate with the number because the number will throw you off right. every time. Like when, when I was powerlifting, People were like, oh my God, look how much weight you dropped. I was like, um, honey, I gained five pounds. Right. Um, and it's because of my composition changing because I was entering a, you know, my first powerlifting meet. And, you know, like I, I tell people in a heartbeat, you know, depending on what you do, what you eat, how your, your metabolism works, how your body, all these things will change how it looks. You can sit five people together in a room, they're all at 165 pounds, same height you know, same clothing size and everybody's going to look different, but yeah. it's a matter of asking ourselves what got us to that mental state to thinking that the number is what's going to make us happy instead of associating beauty with a feeling, because I think that we're so we're, we're loaded with so many people who jam this whole idea of what beauty looks like. Beauty has to look like a, a skinny woman, typically white. You know, um, she's dancing through a, a field. It's a Photoshop to the gods. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's just not me. When I think as, a, as an 85 kid and I was growing up in the 80s and the 90s, I was struggling even when I was small and people used to tease me for my body image then. Oh, do you eat anything? Can you even cook? Oh, you look like you eat salt and pepper, you know, and drink water for dinner. You know, what is that? A salad? Is that your, is that your full meal for the day? The jokes go on both sides. And this yeah. is where I feel like I just cannot subscribe to the marketing that's involved in body positivity, but the original message when it comes down to movements, like even down to fat acceptance, I identify with that because when people don't realize it's the history of body positivity would not be possible if it was not for things like fat acceptance, where it's a radical movement where it's like, screw this. I don't care about the scale. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is why I exist. And you're not going to make me or dim my light just because you're not comfortable with me being mm. in the room. So I encourage people take up space. Do not associate it with that number on the scale because that number on the scale can really just take the bird. Like, just, just flip it off. Like just throw it away <laughs> in the corner. Just put up the middle finger like, you know what, fuck you. This is yes. how I feel today. And try to find things that you love. It does not mean that maybe your goal is to lose 20 pounds. It does not mean that maybe your goal is to actually gain 20 pounds. That goal can be your goal and people cannot shame you for that. But what you should do is find something like, even if it's like, take a notepad. Um, I have notepads all over the place. Well, um, that's when my husband is not taking my office. Cause I'm a little angry <laughs> at him right now. Um, he's doing a podcast in the back and, um, you know, like I have notepads and stuff everywhere and a pen and I make it a point on my work, especially on my worst day, find at least one thing to write down that's positive about myself. Mm -hmm. No negativity can go on that paper and I have to look at it and say it until I believe it. And, you know, like it's not, you know, like don't, don't ignore the negativity, but don't get consumed over all of the things that's not working. Because I feel like that's what we do, especially now in quarantine. We're so fixated on the things that's not working out that we have no appreciation for the little things that are working out. It is a celebration to be able to breathe. It is a celebration to still be able to be here. It's a celebration to have mobility and say, hey, listen, I can walk from one corner of my house to the next corner of my house. I can sashay and I can play makeup in my, in my mirror. I can yell at my kids. I'm still here. Yes. It's a celebration. Yes. I can yell at my kids. I can yell at my kids. Yes. 
through with your AirPods on screaming right. at them. The other day I thought I had everyone on mute. I was on a Zoom call. I was like, click mute. Yes. And everyone's like, I was like, oh, sorry, guys. That's what I really sound like. It's yeah, oh, that's, that's <laughs> definitely me. I've had a couple of F-bombs that, um, that slipped out in one um, Zoom. And I was, after that, I was like, okay, um, we're going to wait for that blinking light to come on my speaker. <laughs> and they just, and everybody just laughed. And I was like, oh, I was like, okay, that was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, if I could be more embarrassed, I, I can't. I've made so many mistakes in the last three years. It's stupid. Like I called my guest on uh, Friday, Laura, up until the podcast day, she gets on and I'm like, uh, your name's Lauren? Like, I'm so sorry. Like, it happens. No, it's, it's it, it happens. So like, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're human. It happens. And I mean, if we can't laugh at the real life things, especially when it comes to social media, social media is, is just so, as much as I love the platform, it can be so superficial at moments where we're looking yeah. at people scream and we don't realize that even if you're the person that only has a hundred followers to the person that has a hundred K followers, it's all curated. It's all yeah. curated material. Even my stuff is curated. It's like, hey, I woke up this morning, even as organic it is, as it is in my head, if I chop up a video down to 15 seconds and only show you that, it is still curated content and people drive their happiness or their depression on looking at somebody else's curated content. So I'm always reminding my audience, please don't look at me and play the comparison game. I have people all the time. Oh my God, look like you're just winning in quarantine. I'm like, you should have started 15 minutes earlier. And I was having <laughs> that anxiety attack. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was like, Hey, maybe, I was like, this is the day I'm gonna start smoking. You're like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You know, like this, but this is real life. You know, I'm like, even if I showed you the moments where I was destroyed and broken down, it's still, it's a level of perception. And I yeah. wish that more people understood that perception to 10 people are going to be 10 different things, <clears throat> yeah. 10 different things. Well, we went to a gardening store today and um, we had to mask up, go in and we were in there and I started having a panic attack. One, I think <sighs> the mask is, is traumatic for me. I could never be a healthcare worker. God bless you all. There's something about claustrophobia, something about childhood. I don't know what it is, but I put that on and I'm literally looking at the flowers and I'm like, <laughs> I told my husband, I was like, I have to go out to the car. Right. And I mean, yeah, I should have taken a picture of that because that was what, you know, a good solid hour of my day was today. And, and then you think you bring yourself down. You're like, everything is fine. You were safe. But I mean, this, this situation is real. <laughs> It is right. real and it's real very quick. And so you may, you raise a bunch of great points. And I loved what you said about the marketing of the BOPO movement, because that's how I feel about it too. I mean, mm. my God, if you, if you are happy in your body, go forth and be happy in your body. Right. I mean, gosh, but, but yeah, that's awesome. It's, yeah. No, it's, it's brutal. And oh gosh, those bass. Like I, I ran. So like, I'm like literally right now, like I'm doing the Cleveland marathon virtual cause I'm an, mm -hmm. I'm a race ambassador for Cleveland marathon. And I did the 10 K yesterday and I just broke down and was just like, you know what, um, guys, this is going to be a walk. Like even tonight, um, the reason why I'm do, I told myself either it will be three o'clock in the morning where I start, or it'll be super late in the hours where I'll start because one, I have not been training. Like it's hard to be known as the ultra runner who's not running. You know, yeah. um, but I'm also in New York City and that's where it's hard to explain to people that I am stereotypical New York City where I don't own a license um, or have a car. So <laughs> people are like, hey, why don't you jump on the trains? And I'm like, hey, have you read an article about what our trains look like right now? Uh, it is everything that people are painting it to be. Uh, a lot of people, you can't social distance on the train. I have a son with type one. Um, I have a compromised immune system. There's chances that I'm not willing to take for this sport. I'm like, you know what? I can do circles in my neighborhood. And I, if I have to keep doing donuts, then that's fine. But when you put on that mask, it's oxygen deprivation. I have issues with claustrophobia and I feel this urge to just rip it off every time mm -hmm. I'm out there. But I'm also scared of being ridiculed by some stranger in the street who feels compelled to hit me because I'm not wearing a mask or, you know, to have someone yell at you. And it's like, how many times do you hear somebody insult you before you say something back and say, Hey, you don't know my situation. You don't know what it is to run. It's like, now I have to go through a workout before the workout. So it's been, 
it's been hell. And like, I mean, and I'm pretty sure you guys have heard the news reports um, about Ahmad Arbery. I'm so um, glad you brought that up. I, d- I don't want to take any, I don't want to short that conversation at all. Yes. So as long as you are good to talk, I want to talk yeah, about this um, because my definitely. audience is probably 87.7% white. Right. And I, I was just like most white people found out about this, what, two and a half weeks ago, right. even though I'm from Georgia. Um, and never been so glad to be living in Massachusetts at the moment, to be honest. But, um, I, I want to talk about this. I, I wrote a post on my Instagram when I ran the 2.23 on, on Friday, whatever. And then I saw your post that said, we should be running 2.23 every day. And I was like, Oh my God, you're so right. Like it was just this one passing day. And I wrote a post about today. I went for a run and I did not get shot. And I wrote this whole thing about, I did not get chased by a truck. I did not fear. I did not have thoughts that someone might attack me. I didn't look behind me. I d- and, it, and it Because while I was running, I thought, what is true about this white woman running in a white privileged community um, with money, with, with like, what is true about me right now? And I realized I don't have a clue what it's like to be black. I don't have a clue what it's like to fear being black because of the color of my skin. I have, um, I have mixed race family members and I have talked with them about it and growing up with them, obviously know their perspective, but I don't know it. And, and white people don't know it. And I, my whole thing is there are black activists like yourself, like others who I don't need to come in and like create a movement. I need to be a voice supporting your movement, supporting others in this movement. So that I want to give you the floor to tell us white people (laughs) what we don't freaking understand, what we don't get and why this has, obviously this has to stop. This, this must stop for humanity, but how, how do we become more aware and how do we understand and, and start to have more of a, a conscience about what is going on? You know, um, my inbox hurt me. Uh, those, the two, the three days that we were like, hey, like, um, like there's Alison Desir, if, if you're not aware of her, she does um, Meaning Through Movement. Um, she runs um, Run for All Women, Global Running Exchange. Um, I think it's Global Woman uh, Running Exchange, and this woman with an X in it um, instead of A-N. It's um, W-O- MXN. XN, yeah. Yeah. And um, she's, oh my gosh, like she was the person who applied pressure to Runner's World to actually write about the story because for a while, this story, I remember, like, I'm a stickler for dates, um, so don't mind me. So February 23rd is when this, what we, we actually, all of us in the black community are calling it a lynching. It's a modern day lynching. Um, you know, when you have somebody that's in a, and I'm going to be, my mouth is very colorful. When you have somebody in a stereotypical, you know, um, racist 1960s pickup truck that looks like something that came out of a bad movie that's, you know, surrounded by race. And you have at least three people who are on the scene and people are still combating saying, Oh, but you don't know what happened. And this is where it's not ignorance. It is it's like that. Because the thing is like, there's a fine line with ignorance and just straight up, just excuse, excusing things or whitewashing an issue. I saw too much of that on post um, I had people that tried to like, especially on, on Twitter, Twitter's like a cesspool when it comes down to like, trolling, when it comes down to racial issues. Um, everybody has a level or degree of ignorance. Uh, like I could never speak about every black person's experience because I'm not every black person. Just like as an activist, I can only speak from my own personal experience, from my own personal experience. When I was doing open mics and doing poetry, cause I have like a crazy background, um, when I was like 19 and I did open mics, I remember crossing into Pennsylvania and we, and I was like, oh, what's that smell? It's like, who's barbecuing at nine o'clock at night? That wasn't a barbecue. That was someone actually lighting the cross. And that was the first time I actually saw face, like full blown, saw what a clan rally looked like from a distance. And they're like, hey, we're going to do this detour for about an hour and a half. And I just felt like the, the kid that was in the car whole entire Disney world got shattered because it's like you read about it in the textbooks, but it's a different thing to actually be there to actually see what that type of hatred actually looks like to, to feel it. Um, 
it hurts. You know, like it, it, it's, it's a level of rage that never leaves you as, and I can't say as a black person, as an African-American in this country, because the thing is when you travel outside of the country, the black experience is different. But the, when and here in the United States, we're so fixated on race that it almost trumps everything. It's like, it doesn't matter what credentials I have. It doesn't matter what things I've accomplished. Like I have, oh, I have medals and awards and a whole bunch of things that's in my office and scattered throughout this house. But all people see is a menace. The moment that I curse as a black woman, I'm automatically, I'm associated with ignorant, ghetto, stupid, raunchy, She's a hood bugger. Oh, um, the, the stereotypical names, Shanene, Shaniqua, anything that they can think of that's from the 90s that self-depreciated, that, that, that black people have sometimes even self-depreciated themselves, it is something that a white person might throw back at me. Last year, I went through my own racist experiences where I had someone that accused me of basically cheating during a race. And when I complained about it and I said, hey, this didn't happen, the guy you know, pretty much apologized to me, even though I pretty much found it questionable and I didn't want to hear it at that point. The racist comments that followed up after that, people basically told me, oh, look at her looking for attention. Oh, well, now she's a sponsored athlete. I was ridiculed for the way I cursed, the right to be angry, the, um, the idea that I represent brands. You're not allowed to be angry. But if I was a white man, I'd be called passionate. I'd be called mm. dedicated. I'd be called, yeah, you know, he's just avenging and fighting for what he's worked and earned for. Me, I am taken as a joke. And when you add those mm. layers on as, I'm, I'm very open and very transparent about my background. I dropped out of high school when I had seven gym credits. I had all my credits except for seven gym credits. So I find it very ironic that I'm in this career. Um, you know, <laughs> all things. I'm like, hey, I got my gym credits now. You know, can you graduate me? You know, that should count. You should you know? do that. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, right. You Forget know, like this. Right. You know, so I mean, and, and when, I, when I think about those things and I think back to that time, I remember being angry all of last year and then people just response was, fuck the haters. And I'm like, haters don't send death threats to no. your house. Yeah. They don't hack into your email. They don't tell you where your son goes to school at. They don't tell you things like, and forgive me for this, because I'm going to be very blunt with this with the statement that I have. Jesse Smollett may be full of shit, but I'll hang you, nigger, is what came to my house. What is that? Was, what? But people <sighs> said, she's scapegoating. She's scapegoating. And it, it drove me absolutely nuts. Like, I, I, oh my gosh, like I'm actually getting pissed thinking about it. Like, it, it drove me nuts because the first thing that people said is look at her looking for a platform, an excuse. And the, pro the problem is, is that it's not just something that comes from white America. Sometimes black people hate themselves. And I, I'm sorry for any black people that's on here that might be hearing this, but the, there is a self-hatred that's kind of sometimes take over as well that needs to be addressed. But when it comes down to things that can be learned, that, that, you know, that I wish that white people understood is that we're not looking for attention. Now, we, don't want, we don't even want company in this. To be oppressed to this degree, it, it hurts. It, and we don't want to be ignored when we're out there doing rallies like black lives matter. It's not to say that all lives don't matter, but right now we're not looked at as equal. We have not been looked at as equal. There has never been a time in our lives where we can actually say that America has been great for us. There's never been a time here in America, like 1619 people being dragged over here. We get over here, even down to textbooks, the language has changed. So if the history is gone, if all the books is taking all this stuff out, if people can change up one word and turn slavery to enslave, that is a heavy thing to do because now it makes it almost like the person who's the victim is the person who asked for it. When I read articles in the media and they basically said, oh, well, you know, um, at one point he was arrested and this is and this. And I'm like, hold up. So we can't even be, we can't even get in trouble in kindergarten. We can't even get in trouble at any point of our lives, just like anybody else, particularly white people, without it 
being thrown in our face, even when we are the victim. That is what white privilege looks like. It's not about you having a car or, you know, well, how could you say I have white privilege because I live in the trailer park or I live in the projects or, you know, I'm going through the same struggle. Your struggle will not be the same because when I go outside with a mask and I go out there with these locks, especially when I go to different states, like if I go to middle America, the first thing I'm done, I get people who tie cast me. If they don't know who I am, if I run outside in the middle of Idaho right now, people are guaranteed to look at me. I will be noticed. And it's not going to be my size. They're going to notice me. They're going to notice me for the skin. And then you put a, you put a mask on top of that. You put a hoodie on top of that. You are a threat. You are instantly a threat. The, the idea that if I was just five or six shades lighter, I might be able to breathe just a little bit lighter, but that's not my reality. And that's not the reality of black people in this country. It does not take away from, we're not trying to make you feel like shit. You know, when we say things like white privilege, we just say that, Hey, it would be great if you took 2.23 minutes or 23 minutes out of your time, a week, a day, uh, whatever, to just learn or listen to somebody else's story, if they're willing and open enough to share that with you, because there's a lot of people who are not as open as me, who are not going to, they're, they're, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So they're like, I've already told this story, but nobody's been listening. Yeah. So it's almost like we've been silencing ourselves for so long. If you take that, 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 same, that same energy that we put into putting in 2.23 miles, if we could put that into our lives at least once a week, it removes the ignorance. Removing ignorance is power. It is, it is powerful to read a story, an uncensored story. Now, some things are going to make you feel uncomfortable. And like, I, I'm, I have a really good knack when making people uncomfortable when I, I get like, passionate. <laughs> I, you are not making me uncomfortable. I'm yeah. just, I, 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 no, go, keep talking. Yeah. You know, it's, it, but the thing is, it's not, it's not about the idea of, oh, yeah, I got to meet your skin. It's more like we are uncomfortable every day. So if you can tolerate being uncomfortable for an hour, and listening to some stuff that don't sound so pretty, you know, then that's a mission accomplished because now I got you to see a different perspective that maybe you can actually value your life a little bit, a little bit more advocating for, you know, all lives matter and saying, Oh, well, you know, well, you know, things are, don't ever happen in my, my neighborhood. Look at your neighborhood. I'll ask you to look at the, to evaluate the demographics in your neighborhood. If I walked into your neighborhood, would I be safe? And it, you know, like that, because you, you, not because you haven't seen me before, would I be safe because I'll be instantly associated with a rap video? Or I'd be instantly, if I tell somebody that I'm from Bedford-Stuyvesant, like I am, I'm actually, I live here in Bedford-Stuyvesant. When I say Bed-Stuy, people will immediately go back with, oh, Biggie, Bed-Stuy, do or die, is stereotyped. It's stereotyped as she's hood, she's ghetto, she must listen to rap music, she must do this. I throw people off of my Instagram stories where they're just like, I did not expect you to listen to death metal. <laughs> when I like it, it is the weirdest things. I'm like, so it makes me question on a daily basis. How does the world see me? You know, like, are you seeing me for the things that I do, the way that I make you feel, or are you only seeing me for the color of my skin? When people say things like I'm colorblind, I'm like, honey, even colorblind people are not colorblind. Like there are certain things that you're still able to see when you are colorblind. You're able to see shades and tones and mm-hmm. lights and, and lights and darkness. So when you when you say things like colorblind, that means you don't see me. You you have to. You you you're not colorblind. If we're if we're all walking around here colorblind, then why are we even fighting? Why are we even having this conversation? But the reality of it is that we do see black and white. We do see we do see color. We do see the oppression that's going on in this country. But the thing is, if it's not your reality, you're sometimes not looking for it. So I, for me, I don't have, I don't harbor hate in my heart for anyone that says to me, "I didn't know this happened" or "This actually exists." You know, people tend to refer people to Google. I'm like, Google is an algorithm. If I told you to look up something right now, um, I had someone um, on my feed a year and a half ago. It was a follower. She actually turned into a friend and she's not in this country. And we were talking about a racially sensitive conversation. We're talking about blackface. And she said, what is blackface? And people on my feed was like, where are you from? How could you, how could you not know what it is? And she wrote me a private and she's like, really, I'm, I'm looking it up on Google. People are telling me to go to Google. And the way she typed it in was a space. She literally had no idea because she's more than she's not from this country. 
So the issues that we have here may not be the same issues that you have in another country. And she's like, every time I look it up, it comes up as a mask. And I was like, let me see what way this is coming up. Sure enough, I typed it in exactly the way that she did. It came up as a mask first. When you put it together, it shows up as something completely different. Algorithm, telling someone to go to Google is not going to be helpful. Now, I am not going to be your go-to guide on everything Black, but what I can do as an African-American in this country, I can say, hey, listen, I can't tell you everything, but here's a great start. Um, today is a day that I'm really exhausted, but if you give me to tomorrow, I can tell you something. Um, how about you pick somebody's brain? How about you take the trip and go outside your neighborhood and tell me how you feel? That is a learning experience of its own. If I told you to go into some part of East New York, predominantly black, and I told you to just think about the things that ran across your brain, even with you saying, hey, I'm not racist, I don't have a racist bone in my body, what's the immediate thing that pops up in the mind? When I, and I can openly say this, when I go into predominantly white areas and it's not in New York State, and I see a bunch of Confederate flags that have been in, in races and places that I've gone to, I immediately think I'm in danger. Yeah. And this is the reality of it. People are looking at racism as a person has to be walking around with a Klan outfit and they have to be burning crosses and they're teaching their kids to do this or a person that's teaching their children how to make nooses. It's not even that heavy. It can be as simple as I'm not going to acknowledge your presence in the room. If we stop looking at the grandeur things that, oh, well, the only way that we can be an ally is I have to be screaming as loud. No, we don't need you to scream. We need, sometimes we just need you to listen. We need you to listen and just openly, like, be an active listener, not just, I'm listening to you, but I'm waiting to give you my feedback on, well, here's this one time that maybe I can relate to you. Maybe you can't. Right. If you told me something that happened in your childhood that happened to you, even if we went through the same thing, I could never say, I understand. I might be able to say, I empathize, but I can't say I understand because it's not my experience. And that's what I hope that people get from this, that it does not, it's not going to take, it's not a one day project. It's not just, hey, we put in our 2.23 miles and now, you know, I did my part. I donated to charity for this one day. So that makes me, you know, all knowing this is a lifelong journey. The moment that you stop learning is the moment that you're dead. And that's really what my, my feelings on life, not just racist, you know, racism or um, matters that deals with race politics. The moment that we stop learning how to grow as people, how to empathize with other people, how to understand different cultures and how things operate around us, the more we're able to grow as a human. And, you know, I, I wish, you know, I, I wish there was like a book, you know, I can refer people Write to. Write it. You know, Write like, the book. <laughs> Write white, white people need to do. It's called listen. It's one listen. word. It's listen. Listen, you know, if it is, yeah. um, it's so layered because there's so much history to it. And, I feel like the older we are, the more that we have these fixated thoughts in our head of how life is supposed to be. You know, if people are, are hard or they don't adjust well to change, how do you tell somebody that believed for 50, 60 years that this is the way that life is? How do you tell them to change? How do you convince them to change? And it's not going to be by yelling at them. Some people can do the whole yelling thing. I'm not one of those people. You hit me with yelling, I'm is more reason of me to push back. But if you walk into it with compassion for some people, for a lot of people, you walk into it with compassion. All it takes is that one moment where you know that you caught their eye and you just gotta keep going. You don't have yeah. to be you don't have to lecture them. You don't have to cram it down their throat, but you just gotta have a little bit of patience. And that's what I've been learning. Just for me, even with me being an activist in this movement, I'm learning to have that patience where I'm like, oh, this is really problematic that I just read here. Take a breath. This is not your reality. So I'm ignorant about what it is to live in this state where you've never seen a black person in your life outside of TV. And you're ignorant about my state that not all of us listen to certain things, do certain things and follow certain stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that was most troubling about Ahmad's case was the fact that it took how long, since you said you were so good with dates, how long before people listened? 
before people were like, hey, why has there not been an arrest made? And, <laughs> you know, when I read the story, it had to be Wednesday before everyone ran on Friday. I'm, so, I'm not good with dates. <laughs> Two weeks no, ago, was, I guess. Yeah. The first time Two it was ago. actually put into the media was um, April 26th. April 26th, uh, 2020. That was New York Times was one of the first places that actually released that story because I remember putting that up in my feed and just feeling infuriated but not surprised. And I remember reading, it was like when I got responses from people who brought like black and brown people were like, oh, great, it's happened again. And when I got it from my, some of my white audience, some people actually got it and were like, oh my God, I'm just so exhausted. I'm tired of this shit. And then I had a lot of people who responded back to me. Oh my God, is this still happening? It was like, there's like some people thought that racism ended when Obama went in office. And I'm like, oh, honey. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, if that was the case, then we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be hitting this peak right now where people are not even hiding their racism anymore. At one yeah. point, people used to be ashamed. I think that right. we, maybe we need that shame back where, when it comes right. down you to You should hide racism. your racism, you asshole. Right. Yeah. Like, like, let's, let's put your Confederate flag in your fucking basement. Right. Like we're, you're celebrating your aside that loss. <laughs> like, you know, like, like the, the irony in that, like, and is, you know, people just kind of like tell you this whole thing of get over it. How, how can you get over something that's never left? You know, yeah. so it's, there's, there's layers and steps that all of us have to make, not just white people, but just as a whole, that all of us need to make and acknowledging that this has never gone anywhere, that just because we've been out of, that because of black people have been out of physical shackles, don't mean the mental and the, 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 the barriers are not still there. We still get passed up on jobs. We still get underpaid. We still get looked at. We still get, we, get, we still get looked at funny. We still get boxed in. I have friends that's in my neighborhood who are like, you want me to, like, I remember there's, like, what was it? I think it was, like, about a month before quarantine. This was, like, February. I traveled to, I traveled to Philly, and I wish I would have took a picture of this store. The corner store said, no, what was it? If you have your face covered or you wear a hoodie, you're not allowed entrance. This was in the black neighborhood. It was, uh, it was pretty much, it was a, it was a white store, and basically on the outside, like, it was the, the, the owner of the store was a white man. Because I sat there and I talked with him for a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. That's very interesting. No hoodie, no service. That's, that was exactly how it, it was put down. Now we live in an age where you have to wear a mask. <laughs> right. And if it's cold enough, you're going to wear a hoodie. So like, holy crap, I can't even get service right now if I still walked into those standards. But now it's the requirement. Right now, if anybody reads the, I believe it's the New York Post, the New York, the New York Daily News, and the New York Times, they did an expose about a week ago about how the numbers are drastically different, especially here in New York City, of who's getting arrested when it comes down to social distancing um, laws um, here. And 80, I believe it was at 88 or 89% of the people who were arrested were Black. This is New York City. Nine. This is New York City. And people like to tell me things like, oh, well, you know, you have it a little bit easier. You're in a big city. And I'm like, yeah, um, I grew up here in Brooklyn all my life. And I've never stopped seeing racism. Just because I'm in New York City doesn't mean I'm immune to it. If you go to New York State, I remember doing a race and there was a nice Confederate flag there at two o'clock in the morning. Um, it was a race that Murder and I actually did together. We did the Ragnar. And I remember actually just going up there and I'm like, oh, this is nice. This is Lake Placid. And wow. that's supposed to make us feel comfortable. You know, running at two o'clock in the morning, I'm like, great, this is every horror film, every horror film possible that I have to run through this place and be okay with it. And it's like, I have to tell myself this mantra of, don't worry about it, it's just seven miles. But those are the longest seven miles I've ever done. Yeah, yeah, I imagine so. And that's what it feels like in this country. It's like wearing a mask all the time. I don't need a mask to put on my face to feel this pressure. And, you know, when people try to diminish or reduce that down to, oh, you're just being melodramatic, I'm like, I, I give you these shoes to wear. And if it could transform you into a black person just for a day, I'm not even asking you to wear it for a week. If it transforms you into a black person and you live in that experience for a day, things would be much different. And that, that's just the reality of it. Gosh, I'm just listening. 
it's, you know, it's, um, it's heavy, you know, like uh, as a runner that travels, I think about that all the time. I have a protocol, um, with my family every time, especially when I travel, not even so much for my international travels. Well, I tend to bring my husband with me. Um, so I like kidnapping the family and bringing them with me like to my <laughs> international travels. But when I travel to places like Texas, and he's probably there in the background, um, when, I, when I travel to places like Texas or I travel to places where I know it's predominantly white because some of the areas that I'll go to, they're like, hey, like people are like, hey, we're so glad to see you. Hey, you know, how do I mention to you that this neighborhood don't really have people of color? And I'm like, all right, it's cool. And it's like, I have to mentally prepare myself. It's cool. I'm going to, the same way that, same way that we would adopt the philosophy of taking up space and body yeah. positivity is the same thing I have to remind myself when I walk into different states and different places where they may never see me. When I go to Boulder, Colorado, it's predominantly white. I am noticed for my size and I'm noticed for these locks and I am noticed for my dark skin. And I'm not apologetic about it. I refuse to be apologetic for the skin that I'm in. I didn't ask to be here as a black woman, but I am very proud of being here. And I'm proud to be able to make noise. I'm proud to live in a world where, even though I may have people who might have backlash or find it intimidating, one of those words that people like to kind of throw out there, I'm empowered to be me. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I and mean, we have a long way to go. And I feel like the generation that my son is growing up in and the generations that come after him, unfortunately, they're going to still have these uncomfortable conversations because this did not happen overnight. These are things that existed way before us and this fight is going to outlive us. And that does make me sad. But if it was anything that I encourage white people to do, regardless of what your demographic may be, whether you're rich or poor, get to know us you will realize that we have a lot more similarities and differences. Don't be scared of someone that you have not got the chance to know, you know, just in, like the, the same way. I don't, I don't know who you are. I don't know. You know, I don't know you from a can of paint, but if I sit here and I talk <laughs> with you for about, you know, five to 10 minutes and I tell you, I like yellow. You're like, Oh, I like yellow too. Guess what? We got something in common. You know, it's, it's we like have we, funny sayings. You, right. I don't know you from Adam, and you're like, right. I don't know you from a can of paint. I'm like, oh, right. that's better. That's better. <laughs> I never liked who's Adam. He's just another white man. Right. Like, who's <laughs> Adam? Can like, of paint. I'm like, Adam don't belong in this neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, Adam shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's hard to, to be feared when you've done nothing. Yes. When you just exist and you're breathing and you're just trying to enjoy the same space that you that that that, that someone else enjoys, it is painful to talk about these stories. Black people don't want to just harp on about what's going on to us or how we're being depressed. Like we're this is not an attention-seeking kind of conversation. This is something that is our reality, right? And I just need more people to just actually listen and actually give a shit, you know, not, not just, you know, say it because it sounds like, it sounds like it's a, it's a nice thing to say, Oh, you know, I understand your pain. You don't no. just hear me, just hear me for like five seconds and understand that nobody wants to experience these type of things. Nobody should ever have to endure that type of harassment and nobody should ever die the way that he died. Oh my God. They, they shot this man down like he was an animal. And I can't even say a dog because there are people who treat their dogs better than they would treat black people. So when I think about the way that he was shot down, it was like the way that people hunt down deer. Yeah. He was a deer being pinned to a corner and he was just running. When I read the comments and I think back to my Twitter and somebody said to me, well, he was doing a lot of running for someone in boots. You know, um, you know who do, um, who do a lot of training in boots? People in the army, people in the service, friends who I have that's in the service. Um, they do a lot of training in boots. So you're not allowed to peek into a property, something that is innocent. Like we, we're all curious. We're not allowed to be curious. 
We're not to make out with boys in properties like that. That's right. why we went like, made out. <laughs> oh God, I don't even want to go into the, like the the, the, the very um, NC seventeen things I've done. As, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, like, hey, you yep. know, like I mean, my child got here, for, you know, by, by one of those things. You know, like, but it's just like, you know, you're not allowed to make mistakes as a black person. And like, I have to remind, my, and it's a very uncomfortable conversation I always have to have with my son. I have to remind him that people are not going to look at you the way that you look at them. That that people are not as kind as you. That is a horrible conversation to tell your kid. Like I'm looking at him and he's starting to grow a mustache. He's getting height. Like this child is about probably a couple of days away from being taller than me. And the taller he gets, the deeper his voice gets, the more that I start seeing body hair on him. I am fear. I am in constant fear for my child because I'm just like, what if somebody doesn't see the baby that I see? What if somebody doesn't want to get to know William? What if someone feels like his heights or his mannerisms or his bad day is enough to kill him? That scares me because if I can encounter that as a woman, because people used to think that, oh, well, you know, there used to be this code, no woman, no children. Oh, that's, that's, that's been out the window for years. You know, when I saw Sandra Bland, when I saw that incident happen, I saw that play out. I'm just like, you're not even allowed to ask why you're being arrested anymore. Arrested anymore. People will say, oh, well, why didn't he just answer, you know, answer the guy and tell him why he was there? You know, like, do you answer strangers? Like, if somebody came up to you randomly and said, hey, can you tell me your social security number? Would you just openly give it to them? Hey, can you know, can you tell me your driver's license? Can you tell me why you're here? The first thing, the first human thing you're going to say is, who are you? And why are you asking for these things? When we when we look at this energy of the same energy that we have for Ahmad Arbery, we need to take that energy to people like Breonna Thomas. That's the one. That's another case that has not got the light of day. That hasn't got the coverage that it should have gotten. And people were making excuses like, "Oh, well, maybe it hasn't got the coverage because of quarantine." I'm like, I've heard a lot of stories during quarantine, and it's like it's like we can't multitask anymore. So, so this is the excuse that we're saying, and this is the reason why she doesn't have media coverage. It, it infuriates me. What is Brianna me. Thomas? I don't know. So Brianna, I don't know. Brianna Thomas was killed in her own house, and this was late at night. And I believe, if I'm, if I have the story right, I believe they actually arrested her boyfriend for pretty much like them. The basically, like if you have somebody that's intruding your house, I don't care. Like I think this was a, um, it was a, it was an officer that came into the house. And pretty much shot her dead in her own house because somebody reported it in. Now, there are certain protocols that you would follow if, you know, somebody reports in and says, hey, I heard a suspicious noise or this is this. That no knock rule is applied to certain things. You don't apply it to, hey, I heard something moving around and, uh, yeah, I'm Taylor. Yes, it's um, Brianna Taylor. Brianna. Um, yes, um, the, I'm looking at the comments at the bottom. Um, so for Brianna Taylor to... In her own house, she was shot dead from an officer, from a person who was not dressed in police attire. If somebody broke into my house, the first thing I'm going to think of is, oh, somebody's burglarizing my house. I'm going to beat them down with a bat because New York State, we don't, New York State, we don't have guns over here. You know, um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of people who are the Breonna Taylors and the Ahmaud Arbery's that we will never read about. And that's what troubles me with this com- with this country, because when it comes down to being a victim in this country, the headlines are completely different. And yeah. I say that as a person who actually writes in it, like I write articles for different media plat- platforms, and I know that you do as well. You know, when you read those descriptions, when you read the certain words have power, they have an impact. If you replace one word with another one, it's like, and it's like, wow, there's a power so that you don't have to be as wordy. You can say one word and it changes the direction of a story and how people will look at it and how they will feel about it. Our media needs to be a lot more responsible. The, the, the language that we have and the conversations that we have with our children needs to be, we need to be a little bit more proactive in having those conversations, having those uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations, whether your child is a child of color or not. We need to actually broaden people's horizon that, hey, you know what, all these things that people are stereotyping us for or stereotyping a certain group for, there's, there's a lot of harm in stereotypes. 
that there's a source to stereotypes of why certain things were believed to be a certain way. At one point, I hated the skin. At one point, I hated my nappy hair. And now I'm at a place where I embraced it, but it took years because I did not see people who wore their hair naturally when I was growing up. When they did wear hair like mine growing up, we would call African booty scratchers. Oh, you can't get no perm. You must have been poor. You, you it, it was always associated with self-hatred, even down to the way that I articulate myself. When I do interviews, sometimes I sound different than the way that I sound on Instagram. Like on Instagram, I'm like, hey guys, how you doing? Yada, yada, yada. You know, and I might throw out like F-bombs and stuff like that. And then they hear an interview like this and it's like, oh wow, you speak so well. Ah, and that's the worst. Don't you love that one? You speak it makes so well. Me it makes me cringe because I'm just like, wow, what did you expect me to sound like? Was I supposed to sound dumb as rocks? Was I supposed to walk into the room and say, Hey, what up, bitch? Like, you know, like <laughs> you don't, you don't do those type of things. Like it is your language. Everyone's language is going to change depending upon the atmosphere. If you go to a job interview and you talk to the person that's interviewing you, like they're your girlfriend, guess who doesn't have the job? <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, so when, when I, when I actually encountered people who would tell me that, oh, you sound like a bill collector, AKA you sound white. I never knew how to interpret it. And that was part of the reason why I was a recovering, why I am a recovering self-defeatist because for years I was scared to even be smart. The reason why I think about Mm. the times when I think back to high school of why I dropped out, it wasn't just because, well, I found high school to be hard. I found it hard to embrace being intelligent because everybody associated that with whiteness. Oh, you reading books? That's some bullshit. Oh, so you don't know about this song? That's some bullshit. Oh, listen, she's she's listening to this. It makes you hate yourself. And it's like, but I look at my white counterparts and that's a white privilege thing. Like you can be intelligent without anybody ever saying that you're code switching. They will never tell you that being intelligent means that you're trying to escape the hood. And and what what is the problem with a person saying, hey, you know what? I want to change and go to a different neighborhood. Oh, now you you forgot where you came from. I get that one a lot now. And I'm just like, I forgot where I came from. Oh, honey, I still live in the same neighborhood. (laughs) I've never, I haven't left Brooklyn. But there's this level of hatred that comes from white America. And then there's a self-hatred that happens within black America. So I think we all collectively need to do better. We all need to reprogram the way that we are thinking and not look at it as a black person or a white person only walks and talks this particular way. The moment that we remove that ignorance, that will be growth. That is true growth. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Seriously. Us and our can of paint and Adam. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to let you go get on your run. I yes. appreciate this so much. Thank you for, for talking and being candid. And anytime you want a microphone to reach a bunch of white people, <laughs> you've got mine. You've got it. Yes. And go have a great marathon. And um, I am very thankful for you. I'm thankful for your Instagram post that said, oh, you're just going to run 2.23 miles one time and that's it, huh? Right. And I was like, oh my God, no. Yeah. <laughs> now, apparently, I'm going to have to run every week. I don't run anymore, but now oh, no. I'm going to run. <laughs> no, <laughs> Because it's... you're so right. You're so right that this is not a one-time thing. We don't make a donation and say, oh, it's real sad that happened, huh? No, right. this is this is much bigger. And if, if there's going to be change, we have to listen and also back up that listening with some support. So yeah, no, you know, it's, it's, it, it didn't happen overnight. So I think we all just have to be a little bit patient with each other um, yeah. through this process. And, you know, uh, there are things that even as a black woman, I'm still learning. Like, I'm just like, Oh, okay. Like, Oh, that's the history of that word. Okay. We're not going to use that word anymore. Like, right. I mean, even I'm learning, even I'm taking, I'm practicing what I preach. That is not just the metaphorical 2.23 miles. I'm just like, how can I learn more about my own history? So as an activist, I can do better and I can actually lead in some type of direction, you know? So it's, it's a lot for all of us to unpack, um, you know, and it's uh, be forgiving in this process. It is, it is okay for you to be white and exhausted too. <laughs> you know, you know, when you read this, it's, it's overwhelming, especially if you, if this wasn't your reality, if you didn't know anything about this and like, Hey, this is 
Day I'm white one. and embarrassed. Yeah. I'll be honest. That's where I'm at. I'm not white and exhausted. I'm white and embarrassed to be white. Right. That's I am. I when this story came out, I was like, "You have to be kidding me!" Right. I mean, and it's it's a reality, you know. So it's going to take a lot of time. But the thing is, just the way that we would do it with running, the way that we would train, uh, whatever activity that we take it and we take on the train, that training is really going to be the thing that's going to prepare you for race day. So if we take that same approach that we use in sports and we apply it to learning and taking away a lot of the stereotypes, taking away a lot of the ignorance, and we looked at it as something that we're training for for race day. Yeah. So when we see another incident like this, because I hate to say it, it's, it's a when, not an if, we know how to address it or to actually be silent and to say, okay, I'm listening at this very moment. I and mean, this is what people are saying. And this is what I can do at this very moment to improve the situation. Because we're not going to be able to get them back. It doesn't matter how many marches or anything that we do. We're not going to be able to get them back. But the way that we speak and we see these things can change the future. Yes. Thank you so much. And Donna, yes, this interview is recorded. I will put it up on video and the podcast so you guys can share it. I think this is a va- this is probably the biggest shared conversation that needs to go out that I've ever done. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Latoya. Go kick ass on your run. Yes, I'm going to make some food for them uh, before I get out of here. I can't uh. have them starve. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be running until about three o'clock in the morning, but it'll be okay. <laughs> I will be following you and cheering yes. you on virtually. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Take care. Right. We'll talk soon. Have Bye, a good everyone. One. Have a good one. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.